Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Dewing Grain are independent and local grade traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, they can offer you the best strategies to achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Each week on our podcast, we begin with the Dewing Grain Market Report, giving you up-to-date information and analysis, followed by Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues with a guest or two while sampling a beer. Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and this week's Market Report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows are my thoughts or gut instincts on what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market Report for week commencing 14th of March 2022. I've got to say, every year there is a day when the spring officially arrives in the context of spring malting barley planting. And as far as I'm concerned, that happened yesterday. The 10th of March 2022 was an absolutely perfect day in Norfolk for planting spring barley. The ground looks a different colour. It looks absolutely desperate to get something in there to start growing in it. Farmers are working the land. The tilth is perfect. I'm getting a bit poetic about something that most people don't even notice. But believe me, yesterday and today and the following two or three days, most of the Norfolk spring barley crop is going to go into the ground. I would say we were up to about 40-50% pre-yesterday, but in the next three or four days, we're about to have perfect conditions for the start of that lovely crop. So all you farmer boys have got to do is nurture it through to harvest and give us a fantastic yield of big, bold, low nitrogen barley, and there won't be any misery or unhappiness ever again. So I want to start with a happy thought, because around the world is a lot of unhappy thoughts. Old Vlad has got himself into a bit of a corner. One of the radio stations called it Dead Man Walking. He has now bombed maternity hospitals, schools and you name it. And no matter how much he tries to present that to the rest of the world somewhere down the line, it's a war crime issue. So what's he got to lose? Absolutely nothing, which is a major concern. I won't dwell on it, but, you know, it reminds me of my clear war drill at Eagle Secondary Modern School where we had to get under the desk. I remember thinking, nah, this is just silly. We're not going to survive. We might as well go outside and embrace it. Anyway, with that happy thought, I went to watch Norwich City play last night. I've got to say that Chelsea fans are mindless moronic gits. That's all I've got to say about that. They don't really care about the Ukraine or anything. They want to sing Roman Abramovich's name. They are just stupid people. But Chelsea's a good football side. It's the last time they're going to win anything this season if they get it to the end of the year. That's all I will add. We aren't going to be trying to bid for the football club, just so you know. Yeah, I've got another interesting thing. This is background. Before we get into the grain market itself... Cost of steel, sheet steel last week went up 37%. So anyone building or planning to build grain storage who hasn't put the order in yet is about to pay a whole load more money. And bluntly, that is a really sobering thought. I think central storage, if you don't own it, needs to be traded. Obviously, it's somewhere where you can actually sell the stuff if it's a rubbish central store. But more importantly, if you're going to build one yourself, the cost is going up and up and up. And last year, anyone who ever questioned the value of owning storage, just please compare the price that you sold your grain at at harvest and where we are now. We are 120, 130 pounds a ton higher than where you traded it. So you could have built storage for that once. We shall start with old crop wheat. Futures traded value at recording is 298 on the futures. So X Farm in round figures is going to be late 280s, 290x, depending. The delivered market has been trading sub futures price up to now. It's beginning to settle down a bit. I think most people that were going to do something has probably done something. And anyone that ended up long through circumstance, like us, has traded the position out to a place where they're now comfy. 
So now we look at it with a clean blank mind as opposed to shit, we're long and the market's gone up. We've got to now look at it, what happens next. I can't see much more selling coming in, so if I had to do something, I'd be long of it. I haven't got that position at this point, but that is my instinct. So 290x, let's say, is a value sort of April, May. I guess if you're the farmer, what does it really matter? I suppose you hope for 300. And if I had to bet, I'd say it may well trade at that value. I could be 20 or 30 pounds wrong on it, but I don't think I'm going to be. I sense there is a covering going on from the consumer and traders who are saying, yep, this ain't going to go down. So yeah, that's our instinct on it. I don't really care on old crop anymore, but I would like to get the market right for the tail end of the season just to protect the profit. While we're on old crop, barley is incredibly tight all of a sudden. We've got molsters with bits of stuff to do who are reluctantly paying more money now and I think they're going to miss the boat. We've let some barley go as feed in the last couple of weeks. We had it on the books at a certain price. The feed barley price has shot up and in the end, who needs the misery of getting, you know, rejections or, oh, your germ's not quite right or whatever they want to play. In the end, if I can make a margin and it goes straight to a feed mill and it's gone in, there's definitely hunger on the feed barley side of things and very few people offering or trading feed barley. So let's just bear that in mind. It's not the easiest thing to get your hands on now if you need to buy it and there seems to be interest in the pool as well so that's quite a firm market so current value feed barley probably 265 pressing towards 270 i guess you know if you've got any that was a fantastic malting price once malting barley depending on what grade planet seems well in demand doesn't seem a lot of demand for diablo or other varieties at this point but i think beggars and choosers is going to be the phrase as i say i see the barley happily slip sliding out of people's stores at the moment and it's quite sensible for the uk to get rid of as much barley as it possibly can so we start next year from a farming perspective this is with bare boards because it puts pressure on the buyer Sorry, consumers. And by the way, if I, as a merchant, was to make a judgment call on who's under the most pressure, it's you. It's the consumer. I think the farmer has a limited downside to the, any of these markets, you know, and by limited, say, let's say £20. It's kind of like owning a put option, whereas the pressure to you guys, the consumer, is much, much greater. I can't see why you wouldn't take cover especially on 2022. I appreciate the futures are trading around about 248, 249, which is an outrageously high price and things might suddenly get better. But there isn't going to be big production in the Ukraine. We're relying on lots and lots of weather to behave itself around the world. And all right, consumption might drop. The fuel crisis might mean less ethanol usage, might mean more corn stocks. But I'm afraid with food prices as high as they are, I think there's lots of nervous governments, lots of nervous buyers. And I would rather be sleeping at night thinking I've got the cover, you know, and maybe being £10 wrong than being £50 wrong, which is the risk that you face. Anyway, over to you. New crop feed wheat prices currently November probably about 240. Close to that, it jumps up and down. Last night's futures closed. You can take the example of the May futures on old crop. It was 292, was the last trade last night. The first trade this morning was 298. So it's a six pound jump. So pricing is quite a difficult thing you can appreciate. So if you take at the moment new crop November approximately 240x give or take a band or two. That puts harvest somewhere like 234, something like that, which is fantastic in the history, but is it a sell? 
I don't know. With the sentiment of spring happening, I think farmers are likely to possibly be selling a bit of stuff at the moment. We've certainly had a bit of that going on this morning. So there could be some natural sellers in the market in the short term, which might just give it a bit of a knock back. But take a longer term view, I don't know who's going to sell all the backside of it. Leading on to feed barley, that's trading at approximately £15 discount to feed wheat. Maybe a bit more than that for harvest movement feed barley. It is certainly highest price ever for feed barley. So ex-farm feed barley value, round figures, 225 Oilseed rape, harvest, 612 plus bonuses. So amazing prices on that. The crop actually now is really bolting and going for it. So a bit more optimistic on yields. Things are looking very good. Weather seems to be favourable, but that isn't really the reason why the market's at 612, is it? It's outside influences. So I think, again, you're in a strongish position, but, you know, let's just look ourselves in the eye and say 612 plus bonuses. Maybe some of it should be tucked away, just in case what, I don't know. So where does that leave us? It leaves us in a very, very positive price mode. It leaves us in a kind of stunned state of the miseries going on in the Ukraine. I'm sure all of you are doing something towards that appeal or finding a direct contact where you can perhaps assist. We all, as a country, ought to be completely ashamed of the government's response and their pathetic form-filling. Let's have a dig at the Brexiteers and how the red tape was ruining us from the EU. I'm afraid it's not the EU that had the red tape issue. It was us all along. Here we sit, embarrassingly, forcing people to drive backwards and forwards from Calais to Paris or Lille and just making up all sorts of rubbish. Pretty Patel, eaten for breakfast by Yvette Cooper. She's done very well to keep in her post. What a horrid little woman. What a terrible, terrible reflection on this country. And just fly them over here with the planes with the medical stuff that's going out there. Fly them back and process them here. It's not blokes. This is women and children and grannies, right? This is not terrorists. This is people fleeing from war. I'm ashamed. This week's interview is actually with Ian Barmer from BBC Look East. So from now on, I've had a few tips about how to interview people properly. So I'm going to be like... Andrew Dewing, News at 10, Ailsham. But the point is, it was great. There's a proper pro who came to ask me some questions and, you know, referenced the Ukraine, which was on telly, and they showed a body double who's a lot fatter than I am on there. It's just my voice. Anyway, it was a great interview, and he very kindly, as I said, gave me a few tips. So enjoy that. Anyway, with that, have a great week, and let's hope the weather keeps keeping us cheerful. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. If your farm is looking to diversify, the first step is having the right website and logo. We are East Coast Design Studio and we're experts at creating websites that don't just look good, but get great results. Don't send your money to London. We're from Norwich, so keep it local. Call 01603 728 978 or visit us online at www.eastcoastdesignstudio.co.uk. Right, today, this is really good news for future podcasts. I've got with me Ian Barmer. So good morning, Ian. Good morning. And Ian is one of the reporters from BBC Look East, yeah. So I'm taking advantage of him being here today to give me a few tips on how to do interviews, because as you all know, I'm particularly rubbish at it. So the first question I've got, Ian, is, is there a school that you go to to learn how to do this trick? Well, there can be a school that you go to. I didn't go to school to learn it, but lots of people now particularly go to journalism school. They study it at university. After they finish university, they do postgraduate courses in it. So that's more and more common now. But I'm pretty old school because when I started doing all this in 1990, I literally learned on the job. 
old school's always good with me. I mean, although 1990 doesn't feel like that old, really. So I've been doing this for 32 years now. Yeah, yeah, youngster. Once you've made a few mistakes, have you got a favourite howler? Oh, God. (laughs) Well, apart from... I remember turning up when I was new to the game and I turned up to do an interview with Gillian Shepherd, who I'm sure you know, who was Secretary of State at that time. Very important lady in Kings Lynn. And I was very nervous and I turned up and I did the interview with her. And then I looked at my old-fashioned reel-to-reel tape recorder, Ewer. Yeah. And I hadn't put any tape in it. (laughs) And she'd gone. (laughs) <laughs> and I had to phone her up and kind of grovel and make some excuses and say there was a technical problem and could I catch up with her later and do it again. And because she was so, so nice. Yeah. She treated you gently. She treated it? me gently. And yeah. I think she knew that I'd completely screwed up and I did it again. But, you know, I haven't made that many howling mistakes. I'm sure you haven't. I'm honest. I don't want to blow my own trumpet. It doesn't go out, though, does it? I guess someone goes... No, the howling mistakes really don't go out. That's just save for the Christmas party when the rest of I've stumbled a few times, you know, live in front of a TV camera, especially when I was, you know, young, and that's really not very nice when I was newer to it. And you kind of have to think, God, there's about four full Wembley Stadium worth of people watching this. (laughs) No, I haven't made many howlers. Luckily, there's not quite Wembley Stadium's worth of listeners for the Doing Grain podcast yet, but I'm sure we're heading that way. You sit and watch Look East, you know, you go to interview, and the reason I asked about the journalist school is, how do you learn to be empathetic with some of the things you're talking about? You have to learn to do it, and you have to take any kind of preconceived opinion that you might have about it out of the equation completely. You just have to focus on that. You have to be impartial. Sounds really boring and straight down the line here, but this is exactly what you have to do. Sounds really difficult. Yeah, it is difficult because, you know, you're not on anyone's side in this job. That's the thing. You're an impartial observer, if you like, who has to put the story forward for other people to see. So what we have drilled into us is, is impartiality. You know, you're there to present the facts, and then it's up to people who are watching it and listening to it to figure out what they think about it. That essentially is what the job is. I've got to say, I don't think I'm going to manage the impartiality aspect (laughs) because I don't have to, and I have very firm opinions. But that's public service broadcasting for you. Yeah, no. That's what we have in this country, pretty much, and that's what they don't have in other countries, and, you know, I think we can be proud of it. Absolutely. I mean, I wonder what the Russians are watching at the moment. Nothing quite like the news we're getting, are we? Which leads on to, this always makes me laugh, forgive me, but when you know, you've got the interviewer asking serious questions to someone and it's a whatever, however serious the conversation is, and then the camera pans round to the interviewer, do you film that bit where you earnestly look like you're listening and nodding, going, mm, Yeah, you mm. film it after the interview. Yeah, I was going to say, I was convinced of that, because like, yeah, there's yeah. no way they You do. have to do it after the interview, or you have two cameras on the interview, which we don't have. Most ah, of the time. Okay. Yeah. So you do it afterwards. And the reason you do it is because on television, if you edit two bits of an interview together, yeah. you'll see the join, you'll see the cut point. Okay. Okay, so what are you doing that? I'm giving you all the state secrets. No, no, so we... So I'm, we see, I'm giving you all I, the I'd secrets. I worked it out. It's yeah, like, so it's, it covers an edit point. It covers an edit. I love it, I love it. Because yeah. you can see that someone's got to... Okay, ready, pull the face. And so they go, pull it. And yeah. then if, if this was on TV... So you, you're be, looking earnestly mm, and nodding, mm, Yeah, you? yeah. That's, that's the thing. <laughs> I think that's really good. So is there a noticeable difference with, you know, the new people who've come out of journalist school? Are they really like graduate trainees are in the, in the grain trade? They're like, everything's in a box and it's very, very... Well, you know, you learn on the job, don't you? And the longer you've been doing it, the better you get. I hope so. 
you know, we're probably both at the kind of more experienced end of our respective professions, aren't we? Is, is um, that impartiality or just yeah. <laughs> diplomatic or, so, um, or calling know, me an old codger? But, you know, we all start somewhere, don't we? Absolutely. I just have in my head, you know, the journalist school and this is how you earnestly show that you're listening. When I first started doing this, my wife was encouraging me to get all prepared and she said, right, have a list of questions and be there. And she told me all the things I had to do. So I sat there and I asked someone a question and then they answered the question. And I was looking at the next question and reading it and not listening to the answer to what they said. That's the thing that's always drummed into you is you're better off listening to the person than looking at your questions. In fact, I don't even bother writing questions down, really. No, <laughs> I <laughs> don't some normally. some people do, especially people who are newer in it. Yeah, I agree. Most of the time, I wrote the question down about nodding the head because I really don't want to miss it because every time it makes me laugh, for some sad reason. But the dynamic of a conversation, I found once I chucked the list away, the whole thing became much more fluid. It is a conversation between two people and you find humour. And more importantly, they say something which leads you down another path and you have a proper because sense. Of course, if you have just a conversation which isn't being recorded... You fire off each other, don't you? One yeah. person says something, you think, oh, I want to respond to that. So you butt in. Conversations, they go off in their own directions, don't they? There's no kind of tying them down. A proper conversation. The point is that we've had a conversation about the Ukraine and the relevance of grain prices. And I feel for you in the sense that, you know, you may have just covered a story of a kitten up a tree in Yarmouth or something. And then you come over here and with the gravity of the situation in the Ukraine, it's a much more difficult subject. And you've got to somehow get a grasp of the whole context of the whole thing in five seconds flat and then put it into a soundbite yeah, yeah. that's the skill of the job but what it means is because you do so many different stories day after day you become someone who knows a little bit about a lot of things yeah i suppose <laughs> eventually you do build up a kind of pretty good level of knowledge about a lot of things just over the years yeah in the general course of your work absolutely you're going to be so informed about grain prices absolutely and i've learned so much from you <laughs> Our You're podcast, Mr. Grain, aren't you? our <laughs> podcast is absolutely. They're all learning from me every Monday morning. They get it, and they're so much wiser. I think the thing is taking advantage of you like this. I appreciate we're on a, a reasonably tight schedule, so I'm going to say, forgive me for hoodwinking you and getting in, and actually me interviewing you just before you interview me. But it kind of fares fair. Well, it's a first, right? Yeah. In 32 years. You did look a little nervous for this five seconds. <laughs> anyway, hopefully it will come out edited and you'll be happy with it and so on. But yeah, I really, really do appreciate you actually being prepared to do it. So Ian, I hope we get it okayed from above. And this goes out next Monday morning. Excellent, I hope so. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they are released. And follow us on Twitter. We are at Dewing Grain. Call Dewing Grain on 01263 731 or email info at dewinggrain.co.uk. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by East Coast Design Studio in Norwich.